321i Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co founder of iRelaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Liz O'Donnell, founder of Working Daughter and author of Working Daughter A Guide to Caring for Your Aging Parents While Earning a Living. And I want to say to the men in our listening audience, stay tuned because we're also going to be talking about men as elder caregivers as well. So Liz, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you, Carol. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you. And I want to start by asking about your personal elder care story. I'm I'm guessing uh, by the name of your book and the organization that you run, that this is something that you experienced firsthand. Oh, yeah. In fact, the working title of my book was How to Maintain Your Career, Marriage, and Sanity While Caring for an Aging Parent, but it was too long Mm -hmm. for the jacket. Um, I was working full-time. I was the breadwinner in my family. I had two kids in elementary school, so I was already feeling like a tapped-out working mother when um, both of my parents got sick at the same time. In fact, they were both diagnosed with terminal illnesses on the same exact day. So I went from, yeah, I went from one hospital where my dad was um, in a geriatric psych unit being evaluated because he had started to act very forgetful and confused. And the team there said, it's Alzheimer's and he can never live at home again. So you need to find a memory care facility for him. Of course, I was devastated by that news. And I went out to the parking lot of then Quincy Hospital um, in Massachusetts. And my mom, a few days earlier, had been taken to the hospital with stomach pain. And before I could even leave the parking lot of the first hospital, the hospitalist at Brigham and Women's in Boston called me and he said, Liz, your mom has ovarian cancer. Can you come now so we can give her the news together? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. What an emotional. July 1st, 2014. Whammy. Never forget. Yeah. I uh, mean, it was, it, yeah. So I, the next six months of my life, Carol, were just, I mean, I don't know how else to describe them, but wild um, mm-hmm. because I had to you know, find a memory care for my dad. I had to move my mom. My mom opted not to have any treatment. She was 84. So she had about a three month prognosis. So I had to find a way to move my mom closer to me. Um, so I could be able to care for her and care for him at the same time. And I mean, all of the logistics that go with that, everything from the moves to, you know, hooking up and um, unhooking their phones and going through all their paperwork to see if they had wills and what is their financial situation and do they have pensions and, you know, what are their insurance policies and, um, you know, communicating with the big extended family and understanding their diagnoses. And then, of course, there's the emotional as well. Um, you know, facing your parents end of life and your children's grandparents and all of that. Um, And still had to go to work because I was the breadwinner and I had to earn. So Mm -hmm. that was, that was what launched me into this topic. What a story that is. Uh, So how did you manage to um, keep working while you were managing all of this? Well, um, one thing about my work situation was that I was remote. I was working in Boston and the rest of my company was in San Francisco, which was both a blessing and a curse. I mean, it was certainly Mm -hmm. a blessing from the standpoint of being a remote worker. I could work from anywhere. So I did conference calls from um, 
from wheelchairs because it was the only place in the hospital I could find, you know, to sit and be quiet. I did new business pitches from the garden at the hospice home where my mom eventually ended up. I, I mean, I did, you know, leadership team calls and ambulance bays when my dad was in the ER at times. So I, I was able to work wherever, whenever. Um, and I just mm-hmm. always kept a laptop, a charger and, you know, a MiFi uh, spot. So that was the blessing. The curse though, was that because I was a remote worker, I didn't have the same connections that a lot of employees have with their peers. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I didn't really have those relationships to lean on. And, and when you're going through a caregiving crisis like mine, you really have to trade, um, you know, your, your uh, goodwill and your relationships for the flexibility or to ask somebody to, you know, can you pick this up for me? Because the doctor just walked in. I have to, I have to talk to him now, or I might, you know, not catch him for another 24 hours. So, so that was a challenging part that I really didn't have a great support network mm-hmm. at work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to tell our listeners that, you know, Liz's experience is such that she uh, did not take a career break, uh, even though she made a number of adjustments, and we'll talk about that in her working situation. But um, we're going to talk about anticipating a an elder care career break, and also for people who are already on career break, how to frame that experience when you are looking to get back to work. And and Liz has a lot of great advice on on both those topics. Uh, so Liz, can we get into this, the whole concept uh, for people who are anticipating a future career break related to elder care? They already sort of see what's going on with one or both of their parents. They're thinking, boy, I, I might need to take a career break. Can you uh, talk about this topic as you call it, how to disrupt caregiving before it disrupts your career? What should people think about? Yeah, well, first of all, I think if people are anticipating a break related to caregiving, they're way ahead of the game. Um, aging and our parents, um, you know, mortality are things that we just don't like to face. And so, oftentimes, like me, you're, you know, you're you're launched into it through a crisis. So, first of all, if people are thinking about it, then good for them; they're way ahead of the game. I mm-hmm. would say for those people. Um, to prepare on two fronts, on the home front and on the work front. So on the home front, it's um, starting to have conversations with your parents about their care. And of course, that's a loaded conversation. It's very difficult to broach in many cases. And so my advice around that is not to say to your parents, you know, hey, you're going to get old and sick someday and I'm going to have to take over. So let's make a plan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's, um, hey, mom or dad, I want to make sure that I can support you in the best possible way in the next phases of your life. And have you thought about what your goals are? And by framing it around your parents' goals, um, then you're framing it as a positive as opposed to a negative, as opposed to what might be taken away from your parent. I also um, like to coach people that this is a conversation that has to happen multiple. It's, It's not a one and done conversation. So it's not a you know, fly home for Thanksgiving and check this off your list. It's a conversation that has to, you you have to give the other person time and space to be ready to have the conversation. So I would say broach it, back off, broach it, back off until you can get moving in the direction you need to move. And that direction is, um, do your parents have a healthcare proxy named, you know, and is it you? 
do your have your parents filled out an advanced directive and advanced directives are I mean, a lot of people are familiar with DNRs which are do not resuscitates but now mm-hmm. every state has its own advanced directive form and it's it allows people to really think through all of the different scenarios where they might need care and whether or not they'll want care at that time so that when you become a caregiver in a crisis you don't have to make those decisions in the heat of the moment your parents have already expressed what their wishes are um power of attorney and uh, co-signing on financial forms and that kind of information. And so first step would be making sure that your parents have the paperwork in place and the legal information in place so that you will be able to care for them so that when it does happen, you're not scrambling to set all those things up. That'd be number one. Mm -hmm. And so that's on the home front. On the work front, um, I know there's some controversy around lean in when it came out, right? Cheryl Sandbook's book when it came out about whether or not we should be leaning into our careers. What I have found for um, working caregivers is that the trust and the credibility that you build up in your careers as you're leaning in, that's the equity that you trade when you need flexibility. So thinking mm. about how you're showing up at work now so that you've built that trust when you might need to be a little more flaky, quite frankly, because the thing about elder care, different than, say, child care, is there are no set timetables. You never know when you might get the call or when there might be a situation or a crisis. Um, and then making sure that your house is in order at work. So are you working in teams? Do you have a heavy CC culture? Do you have a work buddy who might have your back when the time is right? You know, almost thinking about you know, will I get the call? Do I have to leave? And is everything set up? Simple things like making sure all of your documents are saved to a server or to Google Drive as opposed to your hard drive. So that if you do disappear one day at work, your coworkers can pick up the slack for you and you've made it as easy as possible for them to have your back. Wow, excellent advice. And, you know, just like in the childcare situation, the elder care situation is different for every person. We always say every every relaunch is 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 unique because every career break is unique. But you know every person's um, elder potential elder care and child care situations are unique because there are factors like siblings and distance right. and you know and so how do you do you talk at all about like a, like a negotiation among siblings or do you assume that most people are the person who is the designated person to to be the caregiver when you think about this concept? Yeah, siblings come up um, usually by question three in any scenario where I'm talking about uh, (laughs) caregiving. Um, I tend to speak to the one. So in the medical field, in the caregiving world, there's this concept that there's always one, you know, one adult child who takes on the crux of elder care. Um, So my audience tends to be the one. um, Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, you know, it just tends to fall to that person. It can be challenging to be the one, obviously. It can be frustrating to be the one. But I think also um, if we can recognize if we are the one, it's because we're very confident and we're able to do this. So um, if we can sort of see that as a compliment and a, a gift, then it makes it a little less challenging. But yeah, I absolutely deal with sibling negotiation. And I think the main thing I would say around siblings is that caregiving is no time for magical thinking. So much like uh, you know career management, caregiving requires managing a team too. And so 
looking at your siblings, understanding what are everybody's strengths and weaknesses, trying to divide the tasks that way. And then, like I said, no magical thinking. So no wishing that your brother who has never been willing to visit mom say, you know, is going to all of a sudden start showing up. You don't have time for it. So, you know, what is his role? Maybe he does the, I don't know, maybe he does the yard work, but he's never going to be the one who's providing emotional care. So what Mm -hmm. now what just move on? Yeah. And, you know, someone has to deal with the documentation as, and as you're saying, um, lots of times we don't really know the financial situation of our parents, or maybe we kind of know, but we don't actually know where all their papers are and like likely it, it could be papers and if it's on the computer we don't necessarily know the passwords and so there are a lot of details like that that i guess you're saying in this conversation with your parents you have to start doing a lot of documentation and knowing where important papers are or how, how does that work yeah absolutely um to the best of your ability and to the best of your parents willingness to share it with you i mean yeah. I, w- I would say to people who are listening and are worried oh my god my parents are never going to share this you know there are ways to work through all of this on the other side you know it, it's painful and messy um but if you know if you're down the road already and you haven't figured all that out don't despair you can get it done but um it is a much smoother process if we can set things up with our parents in advance Um, they may not be ready to give you power of attorney, which allows you to make decisions for them at the point that they're not able to, but maybe they'll at least put you on their bank accounts with them. So at least you can access funds if you need to in the time. Um, I'm glad you mentioned passwords because it's not enough anymore just to know, well, my parent has, you know, this equity account and that life insurance policy, Um, I also need to know the passwords to get in there at the time that I need to. And that can be scary for parents because, you know, they're, they're giving up control. Um, Not all of us have great relationships with our parents. So we have to take that into consideration, but as much as you can figure out what is their financial picture, how will I have access to that if I need to help them? And what is their medical picture? Do I know what meds they take? Do I have the phone numbers for their primary care physicians and their specialists? Have they granted someone to be their healthcare proxy? Um, Then you're just going to be in a much better place to get through this. Let's talk about the situation where you didn't plan in advance and all of a sudden you have a crisis on your hands, kind of like you did. Um, well, I don't know how much prep you you did, but um, you know, the person who is, is, anticipating that career break, but kind of didn't really do anything about it, or maybe they weren't anticipating it. They just weren't thinking about it. And all of a sudden they have a, like their mother has a stroke um, and, um, and they don't know anything about what's going on with, with, um, you know, their, their documentation or their medical situation. And suddenly they have to be the point person. Um, So if you haven't done any of this work in advance, Um, how do, what do you do when you're scrambling? Like, what do you have to immediately get your arms around? Uh, great question. I would say one of the most important calls you can make in that scenario is to an elder law attorney. Um, it's some of the best money you could spend against this kind of a situation because an elder law attorney can help sort through, uh, what you can access and maybe what benefits are available and how to work with siblings and how everybody can protect themselves in these scenarios. Um, That would be step number one. Uh, From a medical standpoint, you know, HIPAA laws, which are the privacy laws that uh, Mm -hmm. mean that doctors, you know, can only share information with people who have been uh, approved in advance as proxies. 
Um, HIPAA laws can make it challenging if your parent haven't, hasn't set up a proxy. But one thing I always remind people is that that privacy goes one way. It means maybe the doctor can't tell you um, exactly what's going on, but you can share information with the doctor. So you can still be a conduit to say, um, you know, I know you can't tell me exactly what the plan is, but I want you to know what the baseline was for my parent. I want you to be aware of some of these scenarios. I want you to know that here are some people that you can contact. Um, so you can still advocate for your parent, even if the communication can't come your way. Um, and then, you know, through the elder law attorney, there are ways to, um, to set some of this information up. So my parents had, you know, gone through the estate planning process as far as having a will and having healthcare proxies. Um, but the healthcare proxy was my sister who had since moved out of state. I had been out of state when they first designated healthcare proxy. Now I lived in state. I was able to have the elder law attorney come out to my parents' facilities. Um, in the case of my dad, I think it was his memory care unit. In the case of my mom, it was hospice. And they did the paperwork with us there. So elder law attorneys will work with you if your parent is incapacitated or unable to move. So there are ways to set things up, but that's the number one call. Wow. I would never have thought of that. So thank you. Um, I want to move on to the situation where most of our listeners are in, and that is that they are on career break right now for an elder care situation. And maybe the person they're caring for has died and they're getting ready to return to work, or maybe the person, whatever the crisis is, is now averted and they're in a the proper care facility or, or what, whatever they put in place. And they're now returning to work after two, three, four years of, of being in this elder care role. And I wanted to get your thoughts on how to frame that when they're having conversations with a prospective employer about returning after that experience. Yeah, I think the most important thing is um, to really work on your own narrative and your own story in your head. Um, caregiving, elder care is fraught with guilt. I mean, so is motherhood and parenting, right? But mm -hmm. I have found that it's like guilt on steroids. And the reason is that there is always more to be done for an elderly relative that we're taking care of. Um, but the guilt is misplaced. The guilt is should be on the system that doesn't exist. So caregivers, uh, working adult daughters and sons are filling in all of these gaps that don't exist structurally um, in our society. And so we are so busy sometimes just caring for the basic or just delivering the basic needs to our adult parents that we know we can't get to socialization or um, activities or, you know, whatever it might be, there's always more to be done. So that's where the guilt comes from. So I think the first step, if we're going back to work is to make sure that we've really reframed that in our head and we're not caught up. And, and, you know, then there's always a wave of emotions after somebody dies and what ifs and right. that sort of thing. So there's mental work, if you will, to be done first to say, I am going to commit to focusing on what I did as opposed to the things that I didn't do. And when you make that shift to what you did, like, wow, you were there, you showed up, you cared for somebody in their most, in their most vulnerable state. You had the guts and the bravery to show up at you know a really hard and scary time. 
Um, so first, if you make that shift to what you did, you didn't versus what you didn't do, I think that's a really powerful move. Because when you are going to go back to work, you need to be in a good place, in a place of strength. Um, and then it's breaking down the task. So what did you do? Well, you manage medication. Um, and this is something I don't think a lot of people realize about caregivers, is that it's not just grocery shopping and, you know, maybe helping with some basic uh, tasks of daily living, like dressing and that sort of thing. You may have been managing, you know, complex medication schedules. You may have been giving injections, changing, you know, colostomy bags, wound care. You were the advocate and the go-between between between multiple medical um, teams and communication. And so the skill set that you develop as a caregiver is one that I think we like to think that mostly trained nurses and doctors are doing, but actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, average superheroes are doing every day, day in and day out. So you start to frame also what were those tasks that you were charged with that you did really well, like managing medical tasks, like um, being the liaison between multiple medical departments, um, providing social care negotiating. I mean, nobody can negotiate like a working daughter who knows that, um, you know, when you call the doctor's office, you are going to work hard to get that prime um, appointment. Some things that we know as caregivers that that lay people don't know, for example, is, you know, an elderly person can't necessarily take the first appointment during the day because they can't get up and go that quickly out of the house. Or So you want that first appointment like right after the lunch break so that you don't have the longest wait. I mean, there are all these little you know, tips and tricks. And we learn how to ask for those and and get to yes really well. So thinking through what were all those tasks and how can they play into the workplace, I think is the next thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm guessing there are some people whose elder care career break experience actually changed the, changes the trajectory of their career path. Um, you know, even a young relauncher, I know, um, like Brenda Barnes, who was the pioneering relauncher, uh, CEO of PepsiCo North America, took a career break, came back and was COO and then CEO of Sarah Lee Corporation. And she later had a leave because she had a stroke and ultimately she died. And her, her daughter, young, you know, mid twenties daughter was her caregiver and was originally going to have a career in marketing. And after that experience, I think she was telling, it was an article, maybe in the fortune, most powerful women, they were on stage together. And then she was interviewed afterward. Um, she said that uh, she ended up going into nursing uh, be in, in part because, uh, or large part because of the experience she had in this caregiver role. So, um, you know, it could be that some of these, um, uh, skills that you build in this role are directly relevant to the role that you are seeking uh, after your, you know, post-career break. And then there might be other situations where you're going to be more uh, concise about it and and just say, yes, I took a career break for an elder care uh, situation, which is now resolved. We tell people to use that word, which is now resolved. So people, uh, the employer isn't worried that they're going to be called away again. And that could could mean the person died. It could mean the person that you're caring for uh, was then put in a board and care. So you're no longer their day-to-day, um, you know, person number one. Uh, and then you move on to why you're the best person for the job. So there are some situations where 
um, you might want to elaborate on some of these uh, skills that you've built as a care elder caregiver and other times where you you simply want to state the fact that that's why you took your career break and then move on. Yeah, really good point. And I'm glad you brought up the um, shift to in career focus. Um, I see that a lot I and mean, certainly has impacted my career. When you do go through these life and death situations, um, it really crystallizes for people what's most important in their life. And I think, therefore, it really crystallizes how they want to use their time. So they become very focused on the kind of work they want to do. Um, and caregiving is an area, speak about, you know, talk about disruption that is ripe for disruption and innovation. And AARP says that it's a $72 billion industry. So um, I think for the entrepreneurial listeners, it's definitely an area to look into. Um, it needs our best brains. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, we, I was just at uh, the Stanford Graduate School of Business because they did a case study on iRelaunch. And it's part of a course that they are teaching for the first time on longevity and the business opportunities and implications of an aging population. Uh, and, you know, my particular part of it was on people uh, relaunching careers later in life or unretiring. That was the careers piece. Um, there's, you know, the consumer power piece, but there's also the whole, um, all the industry and business around death and dying and, and funerals and burial and um, end of life care and, you know, and of course, elder care could, uh, and business opportunities around that could uh, fall into that category. So, so interesting that you bring that up. And now there is actually starting to be uh, course courses that are dedicated to this whole topic. Right. And just as we are starting to get more comfortable addressing this, now we're in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis, and it's going to change um, a lot of thought around death and dying because, you know, hospitals are closed and senior living facilities are closed. So, yeah, it really requires um, the best and brightest to be thinking about it. So it's certainly a trajectory to consider. The other yeah. thing I would say about returning to work um, is that in researching my book, I came across some um, some work from two professors, one's out of Johns Hopkins and one's out of University of South Florida. And they have done a lot of work looking at uh, comparing caregivers to non-caregivers. And they have found something that they refer to, and I talk about in my book, is the caregiver's gain. And basically, their research has shown that caregiving is all the things you heard it is. It's stressful. It's overwhelming. You know, oftentimes our self-care takes a back seat, et cetera, et cetera. And when you get to the other side of caregiving, there are these gains that people aren't necessarily aware of until they experience them. And the, the gains are things like better longevity compared to non-caregivers, better cognitive ability, better physical strength, and ultimately a better sense of um, self-esteem and well-being. And I think if we know this and this concept gets more awareness around it, then caregivers and people, both people preparing to care and people who are preparing to go back to, uh, to work after a break can recognize, you know, much like exercise, it can be painful to get up and, you know, have the alarm go off at five in the morning and, and sweat and, and, you know, your muscles in pain, but you do it because you know that there's a gain on the other side of it. Mm, excellent point. Thank you for 
mentioning that. Um, Liz, I want to ask you about Working Daughter. Can you tell us what it is what, and what, what Working Daughter does? Sure. So it's a number of things. I refer to it broadly as a community for women balancing elder care and career. Um, so workingdaughter.com is a website where there are hundreds of articles around um, just that, balancing care and career, or helpful articles around caregiving specifically. There is a private Facebook group where there are thousands of women and um, men as well, we call them our working dudes, who are um, <laughs> providing support to each other, asking questions, you know, having a safe place to vent, but really a community where caregivers can talk about their experiences, ask each other questions. There is um, a series of podcasts that explore caregiving topics. And um, most recently, there's a store, um, a working daughter store, that curates the products on Amazon that other caregivers recommend so that if you are a busy caregiver, you don't have to um, do the work yourself and figure out, you know, which, um, you know, lifeline do I want to have my parent use in case they need to call for help or which walker is the best walker. Um, the working daughters in the community have already recommended them, tried them, and so we curate them on the site. Oh, that sounds like an incredible resource. And what a great idea um, about that, that curated group of products to rec it's like peer recommended by people exactly. who have gone through the elder care experience. And interesting that you mentioned men, um, any comments? I I'm very glad that men are welcome um, to the, into the working daughter community. And, you know, men have elder care issues just like women do. Any comments on the, are there the pressures of elder care different on women versus men or any, any um, comments on men as elder care caregivers in general? Yeah, I think the pressures um, as pure caregivers are probably very similar, but as working caregivers are different. Um, first of all, I would say that um, you hear often that the majority of um, elder caregivers are women and that's true, but it's a 60, 40 split. So there are quite a few men who are caring for aging parents and relatives. And as you know, we see 10,000 people turning 65 every day and the AARP predicting a shortage of paid caregivers by 2030, you're going to see more and more men. You're going to see more and more millennials too, as opposed to just the, the average profile now, which is a woman in her late 40s. Um, and absolutely men are welcome. I hope and think that all of the messages in Working Daughter, both the book and the community are relevant um, to anybody who's facing caregiving and trying to balance with career. The differences and the reason I originally started focusing on women is, um, again, it's that blessing and that curse, right? Women mm -hmm. um, are often expected to be the caregiver. Women as, um, as workers, workers often have an implicit bias and expect that we're going to be the caregivers. Our breaks in careers from elder care are often compounded by breaks we may have taken um, for motherhood and parenting. And so I think it's important to address those uniquely. Um, so that, you know, that's, I think, the curse for women, right? That the expectation is that they will be caregivers and the biases that go with that. Then on the, on the side of male caregivers, I think that, you know, they don't necessarily face those inherent biases at work, but they also don't necessarily have the community and the language to talk about it. Um, and so that's, I think, the curse for them, right, is um, it's not something that they can find community, talk about quite a bit. And so um, 
it's interesting the 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 men in the working daughter community everybody refers to them as their big brothers and um, mm. are really happy for both the you know the gendered perspectives in the group wow that that's great thank you um you know we're we're winding up now liz uh that went very quickly i want to know if you can answer the question we ask all of our podcast guests and that is what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience even if it's something that we've already talked about today sure um my best piece of advice for the relaunchers it's the same advice for all caregivers is to start with acceptance i think the sooner we can accept the positions we're in in life, um, you know, if all of a sudden our parents do fall ill or do need more care, or we do have to take a break from the workplace, or we are ready to return, is accepting that this is where I am right now and starting from where you are. Um, because caregiving is an energy game. And when we're spending our energy wishing it were differently, or why did this happen to me, uh, then we can't put our energy towards the, you know, the big task of getting it done or returning to work or whatever it might be. So acceptance to me is always the first step. Great advice. Thank you. Liz, how can our listeners find out more about your work? Um, well, I've made it easy branding everything under Working Daughter. So workingdaughter.com is the, the place to find everything we talked about today. All right. Um, and is it Working Daughter Singular? Yes. Workingdaughter.com. Okay. Just want to make sure that everyone had heard that clearly. Liz, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for paying attention to this issue. I appreciate it. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.